We're going to be in Revelation 6 tonight. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. We'll be looking at verses 12 to 17, which say this, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, As a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come, and who is able to stand? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for this good crowd that's here tonight in a holiday weekend to partake of it. We pray that as the great glorious God you are, you would just shine your favor and blessings on us tonight, that this would be pleasing to you. And we pray that you would come get us soon, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, as we speak this afternoon, there are 1,194 wildfires that are burning in 15 states in the United States. The top five states where the wildfires are burning is California. They have 419 fires burning right now. Then there's Texas with 182 fires. In Arizona, there are 87 fires burning tonight. In Alaska, there are 69 fires. In Colorado, there are 57. This past month in June, a series of tornadoes swept through Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Indiana, and Ohio. 49% right now of the United States is in a drought, and many of the states are in what is called an extreme deadly drought. Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Montana. These are serious things that are taking place in the cosmos presently as we are gathering here tonight, but those things are nothing compared to what will happen here in Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, Jesus Christ begins to pour out the great tribulation judgments on this God-mocking, Christ-rejecting, Bible-hating, holiness-lacking world. Now, all throughout time, there have been various disasters that have hit in various locations. I mean, there have been hurricanes and tornadoes and wildfires, and there have been droughts and floods and various destructive things that God has authorized. And believe you me, he's the one who's authorized all of that. But there has never been a time when he's unleashed his entire destructive wrath on the world that contains all of that. In fact, when Jesus Christ was here on earth, he said, For there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Then he went on to say, Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. So of all the cosmological disasters that have ever hit the world in its history... And of all of the ferocious storms that have ever come from the sky or the sea or the air, nothing has ever hit, will ever reach the magnitude of the tribulation, and nothing will reach the magnitude of tribulation seal judgment number six. Tribulation seal judgment number six will affect everyone in the world. It won't matter where they live. 
It'll affect everyone in the world, and everyone in the world will know exactly who this judgment is from, why it's happening. And there will be no weather meteorologist who will be able to report some change in the atmosphere when. There'll be no guessing of where this is coming from. There'll be no speculation. There'll be no trying to explain it away. Everyone will know this is coming from God. What we see when we go through this is when Jesus Christ breaks this sixth seal for the great tribulation judgment number six, he's going to unleash the most ferocious series of cosmological disasters ever hit this world. When Jesus Christ actually spoke of this judgment, he said, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now it would appear from what's described here in Revelation that the main purpose of this particular sixth seal judgment is not to instantly destroy the rest of the people who are alive at that time, but the main purpose seems to be to terrorize the rest of the people who are living on earth at this point in the tribulation. Now, we can be sure there are many people who are going to die through this. Many people are going to die all throughout the Great Tribulation. In fact, by the early part of the Tribulation, millions and millions of people are already dead. We've already counted it. Over 2 billion people are dead. However, those who haven't died to this point are going to come to terms with the fact, you know, we're experiencing the wrath of God. We know where it's coming from. This wrath is coming at us, aimed right out of heaven, and it's coming from God. They'll be terrified. This is a time in the program of God when God wants people on earth to live in total terror every day of their lives. Nobody's ever lived life like this to this point. You haven't lived life like this, neither have I, nor have many people, where you live in total terror every day of your life of what God is going to do next. But this will be a time when people will. These were people who didn't choose to fear him. They didn't choose to believe in Jesus Christ. They didn't choose to reverence him. They're going to be terrified of him when this hits. And there are three main sealed judgment facts that are brought out in this text tonight. First of all, the judgment begins when Jesus Christ breaks the sixth seal. You'll notice what you read in verse 12. I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal. Now let's put this in a context. We saw in the fifth seal those martyrs were killed. And they're standing before the throne of God, and they're saying before God, how long before you go down there and settle this score? How long before you go down there and pay back those people that killed us? And they were given an answer in verse 11 of chapter 6, and the answer that they were given is, you need to just wait for a little while because there's still a lot more judgment to come. And shortly after that statement is made, we come to verse 12 in which Jesus Christ cracks open the sixth seal. So he's basically illustrating these people, we're well underway here with what's going on. We have this all regulated. This is all time calculated. Jesus Christ is the one who's in control of the great tribulation wrath judgments. And authorization of the wrath judgment on earth doesn't begin until he breaks this seal and he starts it. The wrath of God is not some sentimental temper tantrum. It's very carefully and systematically measured to fill up the anger of the wrath of God. It's authorized out of heaven. It's delivered in precise chronology and sequence in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ wants it delivered. Now, it's true that God is sovereign whenever some terrible destructive judgment hits. He doesn't have to explain it to me or you. 
I mean, he's sovereign over anything. God is in sovereign control of cosmological disasters. He is in control of where hurricanes go, where tornadoes go, where earthquakes go, where hail goes, where wildfire goes. He's in charge of storms and thunder and lightning. And when you read a text like Psalm 83, 15, that says, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. That's a prayer. Terrify them with your storm. When you read a text out of Nahum that says, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished in whirlwind and storm is his way. The clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Mountains quake because of him. Hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. The word and all the inhabitants in it, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by him. He obviously is controlling the shaking of the earth. He's controlling the seas. He's controlling the clouds, the whirlwind, the tornadoes. He controls it all. Then when you read a text such as Matthew 8, 27, in which those disciples said concerning Jesus, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? It's very clear God controls the weather. It's very clear from those statements that Jesus Christ is God. He's the one who authorizes the weather to do what he wants it to do. And in this worldwide tribulation judgment, he's going to allow his weather to be used in ways like this world has never seen before. So this all begins when he cracks open this seal. Now the second fact is the sixth seal great tribulation judgment will specifically contain a ferocious worldwide cosmological destruction. We read in verse 12, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll and is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now the things that are listed here are more fearful than anything that's ever been seen or ever could be invented by science fiction book or movie. I mean, this is real wrath judgment. It's coming straight out of heaven. And when it hits, everyone in the world is going to know this and everyone in the world is going to admit this. And there are seven specific cosmological events that will take place with this one seal judgment. Number one, it starts off with a great earthquake. That's what verse 12 teaches us. There was a great earthquake. Now, there have been a lot of earthquakes throughout time. There have been nearly 4,000 earthquakes so far in 2022. Four days ago, there was a 4.5 magnitude earthquake in South Carolina. And today, two of them in Alaska. One at 749 this morning, a 3.5 earthquake. And five hours ago, another 3.5 earthquake hit near Fairbanks, and also five hours ago, one hit in Nevada, a 3.5 earthquake. God has used earthquakes throughout time. He uses them for many purposes, some of the purposes we know. For example, God used an earthquake to show that it was his son who died on the cross. The earth shook. God used an earthquake to show his son was raised from the dead. The earth shook. God used an earthquake to free Paul and Silas from jail so that they could spread the grace gospel. So there have been many, many times when God has used earthquakes for purposes we know and for purposes we don't know. But what we can know this is whenever God uses an earthquake, he has a reason for it. 
And any earthquake that shakes the earth should be enough to get people to say, you know, there is a sovereign, powerful God who has the power to shake this world, who has the power to split it wide open. Anytime an earthquake shakes the earth anywhere, they should say that. They will say it in the Great Tribulation. In the Great Tribulation, God's going to send many earthquakes. The Greek word for earthquake is seismos, from which we get our English word seismic, which relates to the intensity of an earthquake and the seismograph that is used to measure the intensity of an earthquake. And the text says there will be a great earthquake. And that word great, used before the noun earthquake, indicates this will be a mega-level earthquake. It'll be a mega-magnitude earthquake in intensity and degree. This thing is going to rattle the whole earth, the whole world. And it's going to be accompanied by some major heavenly signs. Now we know that during the earthquake, God is going to use earthquakes. According to Matthew 24, 7, earthquakes are going to be a key feature of the early days of the tribulation. But this is a real turning point here with this earthquake. We know later when Russia moves against Israel, God's going to use another earthquake in the tribulation. And also there's going to be an earthquake even worse than this one that will hit in Revelation 16. It'll be the granddaddy of them all. But this earthquake is at this point in the tribulation, and literally the purpose of it is to shake this world and terrify the people. This earthquake will not be limited to one geographical location like the ones are now. It's going to shake the whole world. It comes after the destruction and the devastation of the first seal judgment. So what happens is you have the Antichrist surface, then you get into war, and the war breaks out, then you go from famine and inflation, you have that hit, then you have that death Hades judgment that comes and then the martyrdom and right after that comes this shaking of the earth. So there's this earthquake and that's cosmological event number one. Number two is the sun becomes black. Verse 12 says the sun became black as sackcloth. Now in the very context of this mega earthquake, people will look to the sky and see the sun become black and the text specifically says it will become black as sackcloth made of hair. Now this is a very black color, and apparently it's going to have somewhat of a scruffy or coarse or stringy substance look to it. I mean, sackcloth was a very coarse black cloth that was made from hair, and it was used for making sacks and strainers and mourning garments and event tents. When this moment comes in the tribulation, God is going to cause that sun to have this really eerie look. I mean, here's the earth shaking, and people are going to look up in the sky, and they're going to see a sun that looks like something they've never seen before. They're going to see a sun that is blackened with this scruffy substance look to it. This will be part of a message that he's sending to the world that he's basically saying, I'm not shining my favor on this world anymore. You're not under my grace. You're under judgment. That will come with cosmological event number three. The whole moon will become like blood. Verse 12, and the whole moon became like blood at the same time that the earth is shaking and you have the sun becoming black. The moon will be like blood. It's going to have some type of, and we're not talking about when we get these red moons. You know how the meteorologists talk about that. There's a, there'll be a red moon shining. It's not going to be that. We've seen that stuff. This is going to be something totally different. 
This is going to be something when you look at the moon, there's a reddish color to it that's like blood. Joel predicted that it would be part of judgment just before Jesus Christ would actually return, and it is. We're probably a little over three and a half years away from Jesus Christ actually returning at this point in the Great Tribulation, but this is going to be something that's going to be scary for the world to see. I mean, you've got the earth shaking as you're looking into the sky, you're seeing this go on with the sun, and you've got the moon that has a bloody look to it, and certainly it's going to say to the world, God's program is a program of total judgment. There's no grace here. And then the stars are going to fall to the earth. That's event number four. Verse 13 says, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. He's going to cause a stars literally catapult into the earth. And I understand that preposition into to actually suggest and mean that these meteors are going to be slamming into the earth. I suspect the impact will be that it'll cause deep chasms in the ground. They'll go deep into the ground I mean, they're hitting the earth with great velocity. And the end result will be, as one writer said, cataclysmic. This will be bigger than any meteor that's ever hit the earth. It'll be multiple meteors. There'll be a series of meteoric showers, the likes of which has never been seen before. Now, not all the stars here at this point are falling out of the sky. The reason we know that is because when we get into chapter 8, we know that there are still stars that are in the sky. In verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, a third of the sun and the third of the moon and the third of the stars were struck. So God doesn't just have all the stars come out of heaven, but what he does is he apparently, as the earth is shaking and the moon and the sun have this eerie list, he starts firing these meteor star-like things in the direction of the earth and they're hitting the earth. And then, if that's not enough, the sky is going to split apart like a scroll. Verse 14 says, and the sky will split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up. Now, some have said this is just symbolic talk. I don't see that at all here. In fact, the prophet Isaiah specifically described this very event as being part of the tribulation. That might be worthy to go back there. Go back to Isaiah 34 for just a second, if you would, please. Isaiah 34. He saw the very same event in the tribulation. In Isaiah 34, you'll notice verse 1. We read, Draw near, O nations, to hear, and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains here, and the world and all that springs from it, for the Lord's indignation is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He's given them over to slaughter. So the slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood, and all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. So this imagery of the sky being rolled up as a scroll is something not just seen by John in the book of Revelation. This was seen by Isaiah. Now the fact that there's a scroll look to the sky that people are going to see, they're actually going to see this, which certainly indicate when they look to the sky, they're going to realize, you know, this is this judgment that we're under here is coming right from the throne of God. It's coming right out of the Word of God, the written Word of God. That's what the scroll is. 
And I think, along with other commentators, that when he does unroll this scroll, they're going to get to look up and get a glimpse of that throne from where these judgments are coming. They're actually going to see this. I mean, the earth is shaking, and you have the bloody moon, and you've got the blackened sun, and you have all of these meteors that are slamming into the earth, and they look into the sky, and God gives them a look. I'm the one doing this. And it wouldn't be much of a stretch to assume that people could look up and Here's the scroll with the word of God written on it. You know, down there in Florida, you can get one of those airplanes to fly banners for about three to $9,000, depending on the size of your banner and how long you want it to fly. I mean, people look up and they read those banners when they fly over the ocean or fly out over the intracoastal. I mean, people look up and see it and they read it. It wouldn't be much of a stretch to realize that while this is all going on, they look up in the sky and here's God with a scroll and he opens the scroll and they look up and they see this sun's black and the moon's red and stars slamming into the earth and the earth is shaking and here's the word of God that they're looking at. People will know. They know. There'll be a real awareness of the fact this is coming from God. They know it because those martyrs that were killed just before this judgment been telling the people of this. Remember, one of the reasons they're killed is because they were witnessing. They were testifying of what was going on. That's why they were killed. And they were telling people, we're in the tribulation here. Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of this and set up a kingdom and he's going to reign. They were defending the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were testifying exactly what was going on. So these people are going to realize this is coming at us from Almighty God here. And then the mountains and the islands are going to be moved. Verse 14 says, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, this describes an actual moving of mountains and islands. And in my opinion, it clearly explains a text like Matthew 21, 21. And I would like you to go back to that for a second, because I think it's important that we have a handle and sound doctrine on this business in Matthew chapter 21, 21, because every now and then you'll get someone who'll say, well, if we just had enough faith, we could go to the mountain and the mountain would move. So we, if we had enough faith, we could go to the Appalachians or we could go to the Rocky Mountains and we could stand there at the base of the Rocky Mountains and with all of our faith, we could get the mountains to move. That's what some people actually think. But you'll notice carefully when you go to Matthew chapter 21 and... Verse 21, we read, And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to this fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. But put this in the context. Verse 20, Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? These disciples had not figured out yet who Jesus Christ is. He said, you don't have the right kind of faith yet, because if you had a little of the right kind of faith in me that you should have, instead of questioning me, right now we could move this mountain range, I could set up this kingdom, but you don't have this faith. You don't have this faith. He's not telling all believers you can go to some mountain range and move mountains. He's telling them, you don't have the faith in me because when I'm going to set up a kingdom, there are going to be eschatological things that are going to happen to the mountains. The mountains are going to move. And if you would just agree to who I am at this point, if you just had a little faith knowing who I am, that could have happened right now. Of course, they didn't have it. 
Now, this is an eschatological event that's a prelude to the second coming of Christ reigning on earth. Had Israel accepted Christ when he was here on earth, those mountains could have been moved and literally he would have set up a beautiful kingdom for them. But of course, they didn't respond to him. So he said, your house is left desolate. You'll not see me again until everyone in this nation cries out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, it seems to me from analyzing this in a Greek text that the point that's being communicated here is God is literally going to move And look at the text yourself. Look at the preposition that's used. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. See that preposition, out, out of. That preposition does not talk about just readjusting mountain ranges or moving it from one direction to another. The Tetons are a mountain range that run north and south. It's not just talking here about making a move so now they move east and west rather than north and south. When he uses that preposition ek, and that's the preposition John uses that God has him write this book of Revelation, and it means that people are going to literally see mountain ranges and islands being moved out of their places. And I understand that in light of what's going to happen in just a minute. They're going to look in the sky and see these things being moved. Now just think about this. You're in the tribulation period. The earth is shaking. The moon looks like blood. You've got meteors slamming into the earth. And you look into the sky and you see these mountains that are actually over your head. And they're being moved from one place to another. And islands are shaking and they're being moved and they're being relocated. Mountain ranges are going to be moved in the first part of the Great Tribulation and obliterated in the last part. And people are going to be looking at this. They're going to be seeing this at this point in the Tribulation. Which brings us to the seventh event. They're going to try to hide Hide in total terror. Verse 15 says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I want you to notice carefully this is a worldwide deal because the kings of the earth are here. I mean, we're talking about the leaders of the world. And by the way, during this tribulation period, it's going to go back to like a dictatorship where you're going to have king rule. I mean, ultimately, one major king rule, we'll meet him in a couple of more chapters. That's when the Antichrist is going to literally try to take over the world. But you're back to that type of government. And what we see here is this isn't just isolated. People everywhere in the world are going to be terrified when this occurs. It doesn't matter who the person is. They could be a president, a prime minister, a pauper. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if they're a free man or a slave. And during the tribulation period, a lot of people are going to be slaves by force. And these people will be terrified. Rank will mean nothing. In fact, there's a breakdown here of seven classes of people mentioned in verse 15 that does give us a glimpse of world government. The kings of the earth would suggest that the world is under a king control. The great men of the earth indicate these are powerful, powerful, high-ranking political and civil leaders. The commanders of the earth would indicate those are the military leaders. You have the rich of the earth would indicate those are the wealthy people. You have the strong of the earth, which would indicate those are very powerful and dominant people. You have the slaves of the earth, which indicates that a lot of people are being forced into being slave servants. And then you have free men of the earth that indicates they're not slave servants. 
Now I want to make one more grammatical observation about this list here that is from the Greek text, and it caught my eye and it jumped out at me like I've never seen before, and I've been through this book many, many times. And the thing that caught my eye is there is a masculine, a masculine article, the, before every one of these nouns. Not a feminine article in the group. In fact, the noun kings, great men, commanders, rich men, strong, contains specific masculine article hoi, and the noun slave and free man pas. Same kind of thing happens again to the same kind of group over in chapter 19. Flip over to Revelation chapter 19, and I want to just point this out to you in light of what I'm about to say. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 18, you get the basic kind of listing you have here again. In Revelation 19, 18, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, there's our list there, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. Behind every one of those flesh things, the flesh of things, is a masculine plural noun that refers to the men, behind every one of them, men. And I thought, what in the world? Aren't there any women there? Why? I mean, this can't be a coincidence that they're writing masculine, 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 masculine. I suspect that during the tribulation, women are going to lose their rights. They're going to lose their rights to a male-dominated dictatorial world. You have to remember the Antichrist is going to be, as we saw in Daniel, the most vicious Brutal beast leader to ever exist. Daniel predicted that the Antichrist has no desire or regard for women. That's what he says in Daniel chapter 11. Now remember, the statement about the Antichrist is he will be the most vicious, brutal beast to ever exist. Beyond any other beast who's ever existed. Now the cruelest Roman emperor who ever existed was Caligula. I mean, this guy was... A ruthless killer. He raped women in front of their husbands. He made them watch. He actually made parents watch as he killed their children. He would force women into all kinds of things. And he would say, if you don't respond to what I want, I can have your throat cut at any time. He was a ruthless, immoral killer. The Antichrist is the worst beast who's ever lived. And women in the tribulation are not going to be having it easy. They're not going to be pushing this guy around. They're not going to be ruling in politics. They'll be running for their lives. See, what most women don't realize is that it was biblical Christianity that raised their rights. It was biblical Christianity that raised the status of women. They weren't treated real well before biblical grace age Christianity came into existence. And during the tribulation, the women are going to be brutalized. Once the rapture has occurred and all Christians have been removed, the women are going to suffer like they've never suffered before. You have to realize that Satan and his forces are going to be dominating the world and women will be slaughtered. And that is why Jesus specifically mentioned that. 
in his tribulation warning in connection with the Antichrist, in connection with the abomination of desolation. When he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see that Antichrist go into a temple, he demands to be worshipped as God in Jerusalem. Woe to you women who are pregnant, who are nursing, when that happens because he will go on a vendetta against you. Those women who reject Jesus Christ and the scriptures now are putting themselves on a course of a horrible futuristic judgment. And the masculine articles indicate that by this point in the tribulation, men are dominating. They're hiding out in these places, but they've destroyed the women. Which brings us to the third fact of the sealed judgment. All the people of the world will respond to this judgment. And there are four responses. You can see them there in verse 15. All people are going to try to hide. Isn't that something? When God is pouring out his judgment, there is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. I mean, people are seeing things and experiencing things that are going to terrify them. They're going to try to hide themselves in caves. They're going to try to hide themselves up on mountains where there are any that are left in extreme places, but you can't hide from God. The great tribulation will demolish houses and cities. The wars, the earthquakes, the famine, the judgments that are being poured out will cause people to panic. And people are going to seek to get away, seek to hide somewhere, but all to no avail. They're going to try to hide. Secondly, all people would rather die. That's what verse 16 said. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. People would rather die than repent. Boy, there's something. People don't want to turn to God. They turn away from God. In fact, they would rather die than face the wrath of God in the world. What they don't realize is if we die, if we die, we face God in that world, and it's far worse than what goes on in this world. Instead of those people falling down before God, they know this is coming from God. They're going to say that. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They know this is coming from God because they're looking up in the sky. Instead of them saying, please forgive us, please save us, please have mercy and grace on us, which would be their only chance, they would rather die. So they make some kind of nature prayer as if that's going to work. I mean, they pray to the mountains and the rocks. That's what they're praying to in verse 16. They said to the mountains, to the rocks, they should be talking to God. He's the one that's causing all of this to happen. But they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Fall on us. So that would, again, lend itself to our conclusion that they're looking in the sky. They're seeing those mountains fly through the air being relocated somewhere. God's just picking them up and relocating them. And as they look into the sky, they're saying, fall on us. You know, these people are so sad they would rather die and go to hell than cry out to God for his saving grace. And I tell you what, many people that commit suicide do exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I have never been able to figure out the logic of killing yourself. Because obviously, if you're at that point, you're at a low moment. I mean, you're probably at your lowest moment in life if you're thinking of killing yourself. And so then you would say, well, then what do you have to lose if you would just turn to the Lord? I mean, obviously, the decisions you've made haven't brought you bliss. 
So why don't you just try the Lord? Why don't you cry out to the Lord? Ask the Lord to take control of your life and see what happens down the road. But they don't do that because some people would literally rather die, rather commit suicide and go to hell than get right with God. And that's what these people do or want. The third response is all people know this is the judgment of God. Boy, they know that. Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. They know this is judgment of God. They've heard it in sermons like this. And who knows really how many people listen to stuff like this that have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the tribulation gets underway, they know where this is coming from. This isn't new information to them. They understand we're experiencing the judgment of God. Of course, God has forced them to understand it is coming from heaven because he's done these cosmological things in the sky. They have to look up and see it. So they certainly realize this is coming from God. They even admit Trinitarian theology here. I mean, we know there's a God sitting on this throne. We know it's coming from him, and we know this is the wrath of the Lamb. We know this is coming also from the Son of God. So they even understand Trinitarian theology. But even understanding that, they don't seek to get right with God. And their final response is they know they can't win. At the end of verse 17, who's able to stand? All people of this world at this point know we can't beat God here. We're not going to escape his judgment here. We aren't going to escape his wrath here, but they do not cry out for salvation. This is what all people know in the first part of the Great Tribulation. We're not quite, if my calculation is right, halfway through it. We're just getting near the halfway point of the tribulation. And what the people don't realize when they're at this point, the ones that are still alive, what they don't know is, oh boy, it's going to get worse. You think this is bad? Wait till we get to that seventh seal judgment. That'll get worse yet. And there will be another at least two billion people that will die after this judgment. There was a way of escape for these people, and that would be believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they're willing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they never have to worry about the wrath of God. No one does. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth as we beautifully celebrated this morning at communion. He took the wrath on himself. He took our sin on himself. All someone has to do is believe in him, and they never have to worry about facing anything connected to the wrath of God. But I tell you what, the vast majority of people would say, we'd rather die than do that. And that's their attitude they'll have at this point in the tribulation. Let's pray. If you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't put it off anymore. Just settle it tonight right where you sit. This is business between you and the Lord and nobody else. Just acknowledge the truth. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. Just admit that and invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your personal Savior, right where you're sitting. Our Father, we thank you so much for the scriptures. We thank you for the fact that you have saved us in grace. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that guarantees we will not experience anything connected to your wrath. We're certainly grateful that we are not going to be here in this terrible tribulation. We are aware of the fact that you want us knowledgeable of this, though. You want us to be able to defend truth and present to people 
just exactly what they are up against if they reject the Lord, especially in the tribulation. So I pray this week we would be good ambassadors for you if we have opportunities that you lead us into. I pray we would be able to share what we know. In Jesus' name, amen.